This morning, it's good to be in God's house. Somebody say Jesus. Amen. Jesus, Jesus. We're going to continue our series in the book of Exodus today. And we're in Exodus chapter 17. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Hopefully you have a Bible with you or you've got one at home and you can open up. I like the paper myself. I like the paper. I like to write in it. I like to highlight it. I even like my, my pages are coming out. And every time I see a page falling out of my Bible, I'm reminded of what someone said one time. When you find a Bible of someone whose who's, uh, pages are falling apart, it means that they're not. Because they're in the Word. And I'm encouraged and hoping that that's true sometimes because things in life can go crazy, can it not? Things can go upside down. Have you ever, anybody here ever just tried to get ahead and think, man, here comes the end. I'm going to get this done. And as soon as you get something finished, bam, something else happens. Anybody been there? Anybody been trying to, 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 to get to a place and, and you're going, man, I am going to be able to relax. Things are going to be good once I get to this point and then out of the blue, something else will come up. It's like a bill. You get one bill paid off and you get another one. They are so faithful to come to us, aren't they? They seem to be more faithful than anything else in our life. It's expenses. But this morning, I want you to know you're not alone. Because the children of Israel, we have been walking through from the time they leave Egypt uh, up to chapter 17 today. And we have seen them... Uh, Faced the Red Sea and their enemies pursuing them. And God parted the waters and they crossed over on that. We saw them get thirsty and God provided some water. But it was bitter and they had to put a tree in it to make it sweet. And it was a testimony of how our God can take bitterness and make it sweet and perform a miracle. We saw last week where they got hungry. And what did they do? They complained. And they grumbled. And they argued. And God provided manna and meat in the evening. As you pick up chapter 17, something else that's familiar happens again at the very first of the chapter. In verses 2 and verses 3, three times it says that they were grumbling and complaining. Sounds a lot like our kinfolk, doesn't it? Sounds like our family. Some, somebody say amen and just shame the devil right now. You know, some of our families are this way. They seem to gripe and complain and, and argue and fuss. But here they are, they're doing it again, and guess what? It's over. Water, once again. And so God tells Moses to strike the rock, and out of the rock comes flowing water. But there's an interesting thing that they ask in verse number 7 that I want us to grab hold of as we jump into verse number 8. In verse number 7, the people, they, they have been grumbling, and, and, and they were testing the Lord, and they were saying this. This is their test. Is the Lord even among us? Is God even here? Is God even leading this pack? Because it seems like no matter what we do, when we take one step forward, we seem to be taking three steps back. And so here they are again. They're thirsty. God provides some water. And you would think, you would think that things would be okay. But out of the blue, family got involved. Now here's what I mean by family. There was a man by the name of uh, Jacob and Esau. They were twin brothers. And they had this rivalry that actually came about as, as they were growing up. Well, Jacob eventually gets named Israel. The nation of Israel came from Jacob. And his brother Esau, he, his descendants are called the Amalekites. 
the Amalekites, actually, the Amalekites, yes. So when we can begin in verse 8, I want you to understand that these people are family. Going back generations and generations, then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. You would think they would be able to relax, but here came another battle and another fight in their life. So Moses said to Joshua, verse 9, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So here are the children of Israel. They're living their life. They've gotten them some water. Things seem to be good. And then here comes another fight. Here comes a battle. This is the first time we hear about this man named Joshua. Maybe you haven't heard of Joshua before, but there's an entire book named after Joshua where he's the one who gets to lead them into the promised land and cross the Jordan on dry ground. Joshua is a great warrior of a man. He is a man. He's a soldier. He knows how to fight. And he is called upon by Moses to gather together some men and get ready to fight this battle against the Amalekites. Now, these Amalekites, they're a very interesting crew. You know what their greatest pleasure is? To kill and to plunder. That's all the Amalekites have been known for. That's all they ever wanted to do was just to kill, to steal, and to plunder. That reminds me of someone else. Jesus uh, referenced him as the prince of the world. The Bible says that there is one that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me tell you today, if you think you're not in a battle with the devil, you're missing out. Because you actually are. You can have victory once you realize what battle you're in. So you can implore those things needed to win that battle. Today we're going to be looking at this battle as it came up with the children of Israel. And as it approached, Moses turns to Joshua. He says, Joshua, choose some men. Moses didn't back down. Moses didn't say, oh well, I guess we're in trouble now. Because all I got is a bunch of slaves. Did you hear me? All he had was a bunch of slaves around him. That's all they had known all their life. They had grown up being told what to do, how to do it, what color it should be, what size it should be, when they should get it. And these were slaves. And now here comes these warriors that's known for nothing but killing. And Moses turns to Joshua. He says, Joshua, choose some men. When it comes to finding victory in the battle, let me talk about the pathway that we can get to here. The pathway to victory this morning. And the first thing that I noticed in this scripture is this. Moses didn't do it alone, nor did Joshua do it alone. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a role to play. As you can see, Moses has got a role to play. He tells Joshua, choose men. The men had a role to play. Joshua had a role to play. Moses would go up on the, on the mountain. He would be on the hill. Joshua would be in the valley of fighting the battle. And then there was one that's not directly mentioned here, but it is God himself. He had a role to play in all this. For us to find pathway, the pathway to victory, we must understand we all have a role to play. We cannot survive this walk alone. You know, we can try to, to isolate ourselves and quarantine ourselves, but we have been designed for community. We have not been designed to be stuck in our houses all the time. God's designed us to be around people. 
I mean, I have seen people who are not even uh, extroverts become extroverts because they've been so introverted in their house. They're like, I've got to have contact with people. Because God's designed us that way. And what's beautiful is God did not design us to walk this path alone. To find victory in your life, you need other people with you. You cannot do it alone. Everyone has a role to play. It took them all being united in obedience to bring about the victory God wanted to bring into their life. They had to be united in their roles of what God needed them to do. Each of us, each one of you, no matter where you are, you have a role. You have something you can contribute. You have something you can give to the fight. Here's an illustration of, of synergy that uh, someone sent to me. It's beautiful. One horse can pull 800 pounds. Another horse could pull 600 pounds. You know how much they can pull if you put them together? I know somebody's doing math in your head right now, right? Uh, 2,500 pounds. It's the power of what happens when people come together and link arms and begin to fight this fight together. When we try to fight the fight on our own, you know what we do? We find, we find ourselves victim to being a pawn of Satan himself. Because we begin to think, well, we got to do it in our own power. we got to do it by ourselves. We don't need to bother other people with our problems. We need to be, be just centered on what we need to do. But here's something very interesting. In this battle, the winning and losing was not determined by those who were even fighting the war. Remember the people who were down in the valley? The ones that Joshua chose to do the fighting? It wasn't based on what they did and their skill, their education, their background. It wasn't based on that. Let's keep reading. Let's pick up in verse 10. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now you'd begin to look at this if you're not familiar with the story and say, well, that's kind of a cop out. I mean, the battle's going, down, going on down in the valley. Why don't he get in there and fight with them? I thought we were supposed to do this together. Oh, but don't miss one of the most important parts of the battle. So it came about, verse 11, when Moses held his head up, that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. See, the people that were down there fighting the fight may have thought, well, it's going to be based on how much I know and how much skill I have. Do I have the, the stamina and the athletic ability? Do I know the moves to be able to fight this battle and win? When all along, it was based on Moses raising his hand or it coming down. And as we see earlier, it says that he took the staff of God. And earlier in Exodus and in the story, it's called the staff of Moses. It's, it's, it's this staff looking thing. But here it's called the staff of God. It's a representation of what God had already been doing. Because remember, at the Red Sea, Moses raises up the staff and holds it over the water. And what happens? The waters part. Whenever they are thirsty in chapter 17 at the very beginning, God tells him to go to a rock and not touch it with his finger, not to prophesy over it or to say something to it or even to move it. He said to strike it with your staff and water will come forth. What it was, was it was a re remembrance. It was a symbol. It was something for them to look at in the midst of the battle and say, God has been fighting for us and he is on our side. 
So here we find in the midst of this battle, Moses is up on the hill. He is up on the mountain. He is raising up his hand. Some people have said this symbolizes someone praying, someone engaged in worship. Here's the bottom line. It's someone who is spiritually focused in the battle. We need several people to fight the battle of, of this world. We need those who are engaged in the spiritual side and focused on God to help us fight this battle. Because there's some people who are weary and worn. There are people weary and worn right now today in our spheres of influence. There are people who are tired. They're wore out. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're out of work. They're out of patience. And they're just about out of their mind. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is still Lord. He's still on His throne. And He still wants to do the great working mighty miracles and power. He always has. But somebody needs to be standing in the gap for those who's fighting the battle, who's tired and weary, who's down in the valley. Someone needs to be raising up their hands saying, God, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. There is a spiritual side to every physical battle. You cannot separate the two. You can say, well, pastor, what, a, what about cancer? There's a spiritual side to it. You remove the spiritual side and you put yourself right where the devil wants you. God wants to do a great work in your life. And the devil wants to do just the opposite. So as we see what's going on here. We must remember, we cannot shift what belongs to God to us and shift what belongs to us to God. Pastor, what do you mean by that? It means that I do not need to take on God's role when I'm fighting the battle. In other words, I'm saying, I got this. I've prayed up, studied up, I'm churched up, I can fight this battle. Or... It may be this. I don't need church. I don't need the Bible. It's fine. I'll be all right. When we take away what belongs to God and try to fight this battle, you know where we're heading? To a loss. To a defeat. And then, when we take what's God and we, we place it on us, we cannot shift what's ours and give it to God. God, you got this. I ain't got to do nothing. I'm just going to sit at home. Play my Xbox. I don't have to put out a resume. Somebody's going to call me on the phone. It's never met me, never known me. My phone's going to ring and they're going to offer me a job as a vice president of a bank. <laughs> okay. Can I just tell you, that's dumb. <laughs> that's dumb faith. That's saying, God... I'm not going to do my responsibility. I'm not getting in the valley. I'm not going to fight this fight. You fight it. God has given us responsibilities. Look at this. Every single person had a role in this. Some of them had to fight in the valley. Some of them were up on the mountain. But every one of them was engaged in the battle at some point. Can you imagine if Aaron and her happened to look at Moses and said, You know what, Moses? You got this. I'm going home. Call me later when the battle's over. What would have happened? Well, let's see. Verse 12. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they, who is they? Aaron and Hur. By the way, both of them are related to Moses. 
from what I can tell from commentaries, her is related. They're not exactly sure. There's a couple of guesses as whether he is a nephew or, or what. But Aaron and her are related to Moses. And so it says, Then they who went with Moses up on the hill took a stone and put it under him. Why? Because his hands were getting heavy. He was getting tired. But yet, it was that spiritual battle he was fighting that was key. But his hands were getting... Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. There are pastors around this nation and our communities that are weary and tired. They are wore out. I have conversations with them and I see in their eyes a sense of just wanting to go somewhere and just curl up in a corner. Pastors have been hit with a completely different view of ministry than we ever have before on top of all the other things we've had to deal with. And then people complain and, and, and wonder, why in the world can I not do this or that anymore? And why is the pastor not doing this or doing that? It's because we're doing the best we can to keep our heads above the water. And we get tired and we get weary. And there are pastors all in our community and all across this country who is tired. And they're weary. And they need an errand. And they need a her around them to raise up their hands. I'm very thankful. I've had some. You want to know who, who my strongest errand and her is? She's sitting right back there. My wife. I'm here to tell you, if it wasn't for my wife, I would not be in this pulpit. It is a battle, ladies and gentlemen. Some may tell you on the news and on the TV that this is a battle against the coronavirus. And it's just this virus that we're battling. No, there is a spiritual battle raging in this country. Those are just symptoms of what's going on. We must engage in this battle. We must raise up the hands of those who are, who are spiritually praying for us and in our lives. And we have to engage in the war. We can't run from it. Let's look here. The second thing about the pathway to victory is we need others to keep our hands Godward. Godward. Not just encouraged and, and picked up, but Godward. What does that mean? That means that we, we need other people to keep us looking at Him. In the midst of all this mess. We need other people to say, hey, how's your quiet time been? God's given you a lot more time than He ever has. <laughs> You're home more. We need other people. Verse, verse 11. So it came about when Moses hand, held his hands up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. See how important this was? But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. He sat down. But it didn't change the fact that the hands going up and down was the one that's causing the prevailing or the defeat. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. Ladies and gentlemen, we need one another. Some of you need an Aaron and her in your life, and some of you need to step up and be an Aaron and her. Can I just be plain this morning? Some of you have gotten lazy as Christians and as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're content with just being home, being quarantined, wearing a mask. And there are people who are dying of this coronavirus who don't, do not know Jesus. And there are people who are weary in this fight and cannot even name the name of Jesus because they're tired and they need you to just simply say, let me hold your hands up this week. Let me encourage you. Let me pray for you every day. Some of us need an Aaron and her. Some of us need to be an Aaron 
or a her. We lose because we lose sight of the necessity of the spiritual side of the fight. We lose because we lose sight of the necessity of having other spiritual people in our life to help us take a step beyond where we are. Let me tell you, just because the coronavirus has come and we're in quarantine doesn't mean that our spiritual growth needs to stop. It means that we need to strive more and more to make disciples of all nations. What are we going to do about children's ministry? I don't have a clue. What are we going to do about youth ministry? I don't have a clue, but praise God, He sent Brian. Amen. And I'm glad Brian's here. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of energy in the youth ministry right now. They were having pancakes this morning. I got to go enjoy some pancakes this morning. If ever in the history of this country have we ever needed to get Jesus into the hearts of the children and the youth, it is now when the world is saying you can't go to church, you can't sing in church, stay away from church, it's dangerous. Let me tell you, the name of Jesus is the only thing that will heal our nation, heal our land, and save our children. As we look at this battle, Aaron and her were key to Moses. Moses was the leader that he would have stood up there until he fell on his face. And as he laid on his face, he would have tried to lift up his hands for the people so that they would prevail. Why would Moses do that? Why would he fight so hard? Amalek was standing in the way of the life that God had promised to them. Amalek had come against them to fight against them, to destroy them, to discourage them, to ruin them. But God wouldn't have it. God could have just wiped Amalek completely off the face of the earth. Could, could he not? I mean, God had the power. He took care of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. God could have caused a, a great ball of fire to come down. For goodness gracious, a great ball of fire just come down, boom, and wipe them out. Why did he choose to do it the way he did? So you and I would know we all have a fight to fight and we don't need to do it by ourselves and we need to encourage each other in the fight. But there's a secret I don't want you to miss in this story. Several books over is a story about a king by the name of Saul. Maybe you've heard of Saul. He was the first king of Israel. They were crying out, they wanted a king. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. God said, okay, have it your way. They got a king. Saul was a tall and handsome, good-looking man. Everybody liked Saul. And one day God tells Saul, Saul, I need you to go completely wipe out, exterminate the Amalekites from the face of the earth. Not even their livestock should be alive. Saul, he says, hot dog, we're going to win this war. He goes out there and he fights. He wins. But he doesn't do what God tells him to do. He comes back with the excuse, oh, we're going to sacrifice these animals to God. And look, I have the king here. And look what we did. Look what I did. And through the prophet Samuel, God declared this. 
to Saul. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And because of Saul's unwillingness to let God be number one in what he did, God said, Saul, I've rejected you as king. You'll no longer be king. And then he, would, he began raising up David and Saul tried to kill David. And that simple point coming all the way back to these people that they're fighting right here in this valley. Don't just do a partial battle, ladies and gentlemen. Do it complete. If God tells you to fight, fight. Fight whatever else is left in you. But do it this way because here is the victorious hope we have. Here's how we can know the victorious hope that we can have rock solid as a secret ingredient is this, that victory is determined by the standard we are fighting under. The standard by which we are living under. Watch this. Verse 13. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and, the, and his people with the edge of the sword. Okay, let me break that down to the Dahlonega version. They won, y'all. Verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Hello? What did he tell Saul to do? Blot them out? Did he obey? No, he disobeyed. So God was carrying on that promise even later. Verse 15, Moses built an altar and named it the Lord is my banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Banner. Think of a banner like a flag. When men would fight in a war, the one thing they looked for was the standard, which was the flag. When the, the craziness would erupt on the battlefield, the one thing they could find to know where their men were at was the flag. As the smoke would be filling all around them, if they could just see the flag, they would know where they could go to find more of their own troops. The standard would be something that men would look to to give them hope, to give them a purpose, to give them courage. Moses understood that. Even though these were just slaves, all they had known was slavery, but they had been set free from slavery and then delivered into this battle that they were about to engage in. And the standard was lifted up. It was the banner of God. They were not fighting for Moses. They were fighting for God. They were not fighting for anyone except for Yahweh. The Lord. Moses understood that. That's why he said, I'm going to set up this altar and I'm going to name it, The Lord is my battle. Jehovah Nisi is the name. See, we have tough things come in our life and God will reveal Himself through that, through a name, as a character that we need from God. When we're fighting a fight, we need to know who we're fighting for. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people today who are fighting for the person they looked at in this morning in the mirror. There's a lot of people that's been taught, look out for number one. There's a lot of people that's, that's, that's been led down the path that the only way to success is to fight all the way to the top and leave dead bodies all around you. I'm here to declare today that Jesus Christ set a different example. 
He raised up a banner. God is our banner. And that banner is the cross of Jesus Christ. When he raised that up, Jesus said that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Moses was raising up that banner to let them know, look what God has already done. Look to see what he is, he's done and what he's about to do. Can I hold up a banner today? Here's a banner. Let me hold this up high. This is what we want to hold up, and that's the Word of God. This right here tells us that God is faithful. This right here tells us that He fulfills His promises. And in the midst of our battle, we can have hope because of this. Let me be the one to hold it up today to you that you can find hope right here. Stop watching Fox News to see if the numbers are going down so you can have hope to get up tomorrow. Because it doesn't matter whether the numbers go down tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year. Jesus is still our hope beyond anything Fox or CNN or anybody can tell us. The Word of God needs to be the standard by which we live. We cannot base it on our abilities, our thinking, our intellect, our emotions. It must be the Word of God. And it declares that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and I. You know what I love about Chicopee Baptist Church? For those who have not been able to come back, let me tell you. The centerpiece of this room is not this pulpit. It is the cross of Jesus Christ right up there. That's the most beautiful thing in this room. It is lit up. It is absolutely the thing that draws your attention. There's a big old cross on the front of this church. Big old white cross. There's one on the office. I got crosses in, in my office. There are three right out here. You want to know what? It just declares that Jesus Christ is King and Lord of Lords. And it doesn't matter. So Somebody called me this week uh, uh, because they put up some kind of hate tree across from our crosses. Three of them out there next to the sidewalk. That don't worry me because the Holy Spirit's much powerful. If they want to catch something, let them catch the Holy Spirit. And that will change their life. That will change this nation. That will change our communities because Jesus Christ is the standard by which we must lift up. It, it must be Him and nothing else. We will not back down from Jesus being Lord and the standard in this place or the Word of God being the standard. Whew. I might start preaching in a minute. One of the things about banners, when you go to a stadium, I know we probably can't right now, but when you walk into a stadium or you walk into a gym, there's going to be banners usually hanging around the edge of the gym, right? And you know what those banners are there for? To let all the opponents know, we won the championship for the last four years. You better look out. Let me remind the devil of something right now. God has won many battles and he does win the war. We, because of this right here, we understand in the end we win. Just make sure you're on God's side. Don't try to get God on your side. See, this whole battle wasn't about hoping that God was on their side. It was about whether they were on God's side. They were on God's side. They were doing what God said. And the battle was theirs. But the greatest thing we need to do is get the Word of God, not just simply written in the pages or on the screens of our phones and our tablets, but in our hearts and coming out of our mouths. You want to have a discussion with people? Turn it to Jesus. Turn it to something in Scripture to give them hope. Because people are looking for hope. And that hope can only be found through the Word of God, 
and the testimony of Jesus Christ. When Christ is lifted up, He will draw all men unto Him. There were people fighting in the valley. And some of you are probably fighting in a valley today. And then there were three up on the mountain. Standing in the gap for those who are in the battle. Where are you? Are you in the valley? Hey, it's okay. Because those people are needed. Are you tired and are you weary? Do you need an Aaron and her in your life? Do you need a Moses? Do you need something that will keep you focused so that you will be able to continue to keep the fight going? Don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. What must we do? Well, Tony Evans said this, and this is a great quote. I want, he says, God says, I want you to transfer the battle on earth to the God in heaven because the God in heaven is bigger than whatever you are fighting on earth. That's what God wants. Transfer the battle to Him so that He can be fighting this war. And He will bring victory. But I have a question for you to answer today. What standard am I living under? What standard am I fighting under? I'm going to get political for a second, alright? Some of you ain't going to like it. Doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, conservative, or liberal. If you're not fighting under the name of Jesus Christ, you're on the wrong side. Okay, I'm done being political. Jesus has got to be our standard. The Word of God must be our standard by which we determine our thinking and our actions, even if it doesn't make us happy. Had somebody just tell me this week, I was in in conversation with a very intelligent woman. Very intelligent. And she said, this right here, she's come to learn. There are some things in here that makes her uncomfortable. Some things that she don't like. But for her, she said, it doesn't come down to what I think or what I like. It's about what God has said. And if he says it's wrong, it's wrong. If he says it's right, it's right. If it says we are to do it, you know what we should do? Do it. If it says we shouldn't do it, you know what we should do? Shouldn't do it. But are we basing our fight on popular opinion, what people are going to think about us? Or are we basing it on God's Word and what Jesus has done? Here's your challenge over the next seven days. I want you to take up this challenge and be serious. Encourage someone in their spiritual walk this week. In other words, be an Aaron or a her. Or maybe you need to let them know that they have encouraged you. Maybe you need to tell somebody, man, I'm, I'm telling you now, I would not be where I am in my spiritual walk if it was not for you helping me. That's not too hard. That shouldn't even make you uncomfortable. Because it should be somebody you know or somebody you're around. Look for someone that you're going to encourage in their walk or thank someone for encouraging you in your walk. That's what we need to do. Because we're not in this by ourselves, and we all have a role to play. And let's fight under the standard which is Jesus Christ and the Word of God today. Pray with me. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the glory that it reveals. I thank you that without you, we would be nothing. 
Lord, today we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. There is no other name. How precious is the name of Jesus. Lord, there may be some that would call me a religious nut and a fanatic, so let it be. Because I have hope in the name of Jesus. Lord, today there may be someone that, do not, that just does not know Jesus. I pray right now. They will open their hearts. They will say, God, forgive me and take over my life. The battle will be different. When you're fighting alongside with Jesus, as a matter of fact, letting Jesus do in the fighting and you're just following along, when you give your life to Him, everything else will change. So today, will you give your life to Jesus? Will you put your trust in something bigger than yourself? Bigger than you figuring it out and just simply say, I believe. Today, maybe you're fighting a fight. Maybe you've gotten bad news from the doctor or maybe you've got an operation coming up. Let me tell you something. You're not alone. Let us hold your hands up in this fight. Father, we thank you for your presence and we thank you for your people. And we're not in this alone. Do a work in our hearts in our mind. In the beautiful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.